Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Subject ACT, looking at local current affairs from a curious and informed perspective. I'm Doug Dobing. While most of us are in bed asleep, kayak cameraman Paul Urich is paddling around and photographing the waterways of Lake Burley Griffin from a different perspective. Today on Subject ACT, we discover more about the man in the kayak. This week we talk with Paul about testicular cancer and how he started as the kayak cameraman. And Paul will join us again next week to talk more about his photography, World Photo Day and keeping Canberra's waterways beautiful. Welcome, Paul. G'day, Doug. How are you, mate? Hey, going great, mate. And if there's ever anyone that brings a smile to your face, it's Paul. (laughs) You came to Canberra... 30 years ago. What yes. brought you here? I came to Canberra in 1989 for one year and I was chasing Julie, which is my wife, yeah. and Julie had a posting and there was no postings for teachers back in that time for New South Wales, so she got a posting here in Canberra. And so I was coming down and I'd come down every sort of couple of weekends, have a weekend here and you know, then go back home and I was working on the road crews laying gas mains for actual mm-hmm. AGL. You yeah. know? And it was funny, there was a family... Uncle Ivan, he's the uncle that you, you know, he's the uncle that's not my uncle, but he is, you know, and yeah, he's just yeah. as much as a father to me. He emigrated here to Australia with my father from Croatia. And so my dad ended up moving on with soccer and or football further up the coast to Newcastle and settled there and Ivan stayed here. And he ended up forming a company called Benmax, which is a an air conditioning mechanical services company here. We used to come down to Canberra every Christmas and visit. And we'd have a couple of weeks here over Christmas time and Dad would catch up with Ivan and all this type of stuff. So Canberra wasn't really that alien to me, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, through my youth and young kid. And so he got wind that I was here and I was summoned, you know. you know, <laughs> Called by the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, the, and there was no mobile phones back then. So, you know, they've turned around and said, look, you've got to go see Ivan. I thought, oh, my God, I haven't seen Ivan for, for a couple of years. And I got there and he says, Mr. Jurek, he says, um, do you want a job? And I was just labouring, yes. basically digging holes all the way through Newcastle. And that's how I met my wife. That's another story. Yeah. And I said, oh, I don't know. I said, I'm sort of cruising at Newcastle on the road cruise. I'm pretty happy. I said, give me a couple of weeks to think about it. And he said, and he says, if you want this job, you start tomorrow. So I said to Julie at the time, I said, see you later. She didn't know. And I drove home. And back then it was like a nine-hour drive or something like that, you know. And, and I've got home at midnight and I'm at home with mum and dad, you know, 21. And I said, I'm going. Basically, next morning I went into AGL. I quit. They paid me out with a cheque by 10 o'clock in the morning. Packed my bags. I chucked a bag in the car and drove back. Came and knocked on the door to Julie. She didn't even know. And said, yeah, I'm here. And so that was it. That's how it started. Never left. You're a Newcastle boy. Yep. You love to surf. I oh, mean, mate. Canberra is so different. I know, I know. And and it's funny because initially in those early years for a long time, I, I pined for the ocean and still do now. And I spend every spare minute that I've got at the beach. I've just come back from beautiful two weeks up through the mid-north coast again. Yep. And Canberra's been good to me. And it's home as well, you know. So I, I call Newcastle home, but Canberra's home too. What is it about here that you like? It's funny because initially when I first moved here, I was just work-orientated. Realistically, every bit of spare time I had, I'd be going back up the coast to see family, relatives and friends and whatnot. And I'd work. And I worked in that construction industry for 20-plus 20, 20 years, six days a week. And, and look, mm. but at the time, everyone in the early, that 90s, we went into a recession. 
Yes. And there was no work up mid-north coast. There was no work in Newcastle. The wages were absolutely appalling. And for me here, you know, I bought a house and then we had kids and this was just excellent foundation for me at that time in my 20s. Yes. I, I couldn't leave because... I, the money was I needed money to survive, and from a family that has a good work ethic too. I mean, you've yes. got good secure work. Oh, look! Yeah. Well, the funny thing was, everyone was getting laid off in the nineties, and we cut back to working a forty-eight hour week. Yeah, but also during that time, some of the projects that I worked on here in Canberra, mate, no one will get a chance to rip the heart out of the National Gallery of Australia, or, or go through ASIO and work all through Spookville, yeah. you know, and or skate a you know, 25-tonne generator out of Black Mountain Tower or, you know, work so in all iconic, the hospitals. and yeah, those iconic buildings you've been a part of. Oh, amazing, every one, you know, yeah. Questacon, library, gallery, you know, and it just keeps going on. And Canberra Centre was one of the jobs that I had and this building here that we're sitting in. So even though I was sort of in the work mode, mm-hmm. it actually made it, quite enjoyable if that's as sick as that can say yeah, but on yeah. the sound but yeah. it was it was great and so it's only through now change career a bit and I'm teaching at the the trade school at CIT there with the plumbing students yes. and now paddling and photographing and and I've actually just dis- really discovered Canberra before I'd, I'd drive to work but I didn't really look at sunrises and I didn't look at landscape or I didn't you know and so the photography that I've ended up getting into it's actually changed the way I was having a bit of cancer a couple of times. It's totally flipped how I view things. So you mentioned cancer. Mm-hmm. Is that? Would you say that's the key moment that changed your perspective on how you saw things? I think so, yeah. I yeah. mean, it was funny. I was asked that question um, a few years ago, probably three or four years ago, and someone said, oh, by having cancer, did it? alter how you think or, or change you mm. and at the time I turned around and I went nah, well, I'm still who I am do you know what yeah. after actually yeah seven years I'm you know, termite free still yes and I look at that now and it's only after sort of seven years looking back that oh how far I was so wrong how far off the mark I was I think having cancer and that really sort of has changed me a lot Okay. And changed how I view things. Changed. Don't sweat the small stuff anymore. Could you just um, talk us through, like, so seven years ago, you were identified with having testicular cancer. Yes, that's correct. What, what were some of the symptoms, or how did you discover that? There was no early warning in the way of, oh, it's, you know, swelling or whatnot. I was walking at work. I remember I was working with um, Big Steve. We were walking <laughs> down the staircase, and next minute I just went, oh. And I had testicular cancer in the, the left left nut, or yep. you know. And um, what happened was, as I was walking down the stairs, and I said, to Steve, I said, oh, jeez, just like a you know when you get a shot when someone kicks you or hits you, you know. Yeah, yeah. I went, oh, jeez, that's sore. Didn't think anything more of it and kept going, you know. And and then next day it was still there, and then the next day it was still there, and and over a period of time, a um, couple of weeks, it, it gradually seem to get worse. Testicular cancer is very aggressive. So it, it, it grows it quick. It grows very quickly, yeah. 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 And if, and if, yet again, like, like any of the cancers, um, early detection, early detection is the key. Oh, that's my belief, you know. So in your case, it, it was the self-awareness that you noticed, one, there was a pain mm-hmm. and then there's swelling. Yep. So you hadn't had it discovered or diagnosed by a doctor before? No, then? no. Okay. And so I was going along mm-hmm. and it just started to, to grow. 
and and just m- more in a bit of ch- size in like change in size, but also the pain. And so what happened was, was after a couple of weeks, I got to the point that I couldn't wear any underpants mm. because it was giving me discomfort. And then I couldn't wear you know jeans because the fork was too 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 tight. tight. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm sort of wearing baggy pants. And then you could then you started to see the change. And I went, yeah, and by that stage, I don't know how many weeks that was, whether it was four, five, maybe six, I don't know now. Because I went away for two weeks and we went up the coast. And when I returned, um, I was in sort of a, a lot of discomfort where I was struggling to, you know, you could even, by sitting in the car and driving along, even the vibration in the seat was giving me right. pain. And you hadn't seen a doctor at this stage? No. And no. so, you know... I ended up thinking oh, it might be a, a twist or something like that, and I went, I went and saw my GP then, mm. and he looked at it, and, and you could see straight away the look on his face, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, maybe it's a twist," and he went, "No, no, 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 no this is not a twist," <laughs> and he booked an ultrasound. Ultrasound is the best way to 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 see, and so I went in and saw an ultrasound. At that stage, I had a. Um, it was funny. I'm laying on the table. And a young girl there's got the ultrasound going all over it, and then she said, oh, "I've just got to go get." Um, a second opinion get the doctor to come in and have a look mm. and he's come in and you know he's a man in his 60s with a little bifocal glass in the beard <laughs> and he, he looks down and he, he looks at me and he goes Mr. Durak he says it looks like you've got um, testicular cancer and he said you're most probably going to lose the left one mm. and um, then he said at your age he said oh, I think that this is probably secondary cancer and you've probably got it elsewhere through your body and um, he said, you're most probably going to lose the left left one. And he goes, do you have any questions? And I, at that time, it's not every day someone tells you you've got cancer. But I turned around and I said, looked at him while I'm laying on the you know, laying on the thing there and with his nut in my hand. And I said, mate, yeah, well, if I'm going to lose the left one, I said, will it affect my voice box? And, <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, this is really serious. Yeah. And I said... Yeah, I know, mate. I said, I work open story construction, multi-story construction. I said, can you imagine me going back with a high squeaky voice? Yeah. And he just looked at me and he just went, mate, with that attitude, he said, you'll be fine. The worst part was is, you know, I had to wait another week to find out where they did a full CT scan. Mm. And I was great. It was localised. And so I didn't have it anywhere else. And, you know, everyone was spinning out and you're going to die and all this type of stuff and thinking. And I said, look, until you actually find out, easier said than done. But I'm a believer of, man, until I find out if I've got it or not or where is, is no point doing head miles. Yeah, get the facts. That's right. And don't Dr. Google. (laughs) Dr. Google is the worst thing. They all had, yeah, and... Well, look, as you, as you said before, you thought that was first a twist in the testicles. That's right. And then to discover it was actually testicular, testicular cancer. Yep. I mean, what's the process from then? Once you were diagnosed, oh, where did it go from there? Mate, it was a real circus, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm lucky. Mine, mine was absolutely... I'm really lucky. But one thing I want to say really clearly is... Uh, Testicular cancer is really, really treatable and responds extremely well to treatment. And so to all young guys and men and all this type of stuff, if you're worried about it, go and get a scan, go and see your doctor. If you do have it, treatment responds really well to treatment. It is quick. You are listening to the kayak cameraman Paul Urich talking about testicular cancer on Subject ACT. Stay tuned for more on 2XXFM 98.3, Canberra's longest-running community radio station.
was one of kayak cameraman Paul Urich's favourite songs, Dream Catch Me, by Newton Faulkner. You are listening to Subject ACT on Canberra's longest-running community radio station, 2XXFM 98.3. This week we have kayak cameraman Paul Urich with us on the program, talking about testicular cancer and how he started as the kayak cameraman. 
Like I had a four centimetre tumour inside. Mm. So my left nut was the size of an avocado at that point. And so what happened was is then I went and I was referred to a specialist. And I won't mention names and I went into this specialist and it was like with my wife and there was like a thousand African drums beating and oh my God, this is so bad. You've got to get this taken out. We've got to remove this immediately. We've got to take it out next Wednesday and blah, 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 blah. Wow. Okay. Cool. Great. Let's go. So that's where your head. That was yeah. your head racing in your heart. Yeah. Pounding. And he's going. Yeah. And he and he's going. And I said, mate. Okay. Yeah. Take it out. Let's get rid of it. Mm. And so they thought that it's it would be encapsulated. What he failed to do is because I don't have private health insurance. He said to me, "I'll book you next Wednesday." Great. So I organised work and family coming down and all this. And I rang up on the Tuesday to the hospital. I hadn't heard anything. And I said to the hospital, "I'm scheduled for have this removed." She said, "Oh." You're not, he didn't mark you as urgent because I didn't have private health insurance. Because I'm a Medicare patient, they put me on the roster. So you've got to wait. Yeah. So that yep. was September. I had to, well, I was told. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And he promised I'm, me that he'd cut me through Medicare. Long story, I ended up just waiting then. And to the point I couldn't even push the clutch in the car. I couldn't walk. I was in, ah, mate, I was in agony. Mm. And um, I ended up going through accident emergency. Because I was just in dire straits. And so I've gone through the accident emergency. Never forget the look on the nurse's face where I had like the real big, soft, baggy <laughs> pants on. And we've gone, you know, when you go behind the glass and you sit down, she said, look, I just need to have a look. And I couldn't even walk, hardly. And I've gone, whoop, and pull it. And it just went, oh, my gosh. She said, out the back straight away. Yeah. And it's big veins and it looked ugly. And then they hit me with morphine. And then one of the doctors came out and uh, she said, oh, we've managed his pain. You can send him home now. So it's with swollen testicles. <laughs> oh, mate, they're going to send me home. And and so it's this beautiful nurse. All I can say is nurses, mate. They, nurses, unreal. Yeah. They, they everything, everything that I've been through with the system is just, I, I just do not have enough accolade and words to say for the nurse and the doctors too. Um, but what, but is, it, young what nurse, is it about the nurse? Oh, they know their stuff. Mm-hmm. I listen to the nurses where instead of, you know, when I was going through the treatment, what should I do? Here, mm-hmm. there, how do I rest? Do I eat? What should I? So the they advice, guided so, you through. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the doctors, look, the, the oncologist that I had, Dr. Kraft, mate, life <laughs> coach, he's a legend, you yeah, know. Yeah. But also compassion, empathetic. They really are, you know, for, for, for the role that they do, they do more than just injecting me with chemical or preparing me for surgery, if that mm. makes sense. It does. You know, it's so, a whole. So in yeah. essence, it's not just the the treatment and the surgery, mm. but it's the way that the nurses treated you was part of that healing process. Yeah, say, yeah the care, yeah. the care yeah, that yeah. I received uh, wow. was, was uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I just got yeah, really, really nothing but good things to say. And so, and so then this young nurse kept me there and she said, I promise you, she said, you will not be discharged. And they had a registrar coming around next day and that's how I got in. Yeah. And so I was lucky. I was just sheer luck that there was a um, registrar next day coming through and I waited until oh, 9 or 10 o'clock that night, something like that. It was late. But basically they removed it. So physically after your operation, you said there was kayaking and your photography was part of your healing and we'll talk more about that in yep. the program. But how did you what was your journey of recovery after your well, surgery well they, they they took that out that night mm. and then they released me and it was funny you know because i was joking around with the kids saying i'm just going to back my voice box and all this type of stuff and three boys <laughs> and it's funny when i come out i'm laying in the bed there and they and i opened my eyes and they looked at me and i went 
G'day boys, here you going? <laughs> and the look, the look on their face was just like, oh my gosh, and uh, and it was just, and I said, I'm sorry, I said I couldn't help myself, I just had to, you know. Because, and but that's what dads have got to do. You got to, yeah. You, look, you can you can sit in the, I can sit in the corner and suck my thumb, and boo hoo hoo and all this type of stuff. Yeah. As I say, easier to mm. say than hard to do. There are moments, of course, you'd be a liar to say you don't have those moments of doubt or this or whatnot. But no, I, I never sort of even, I don't know if it didn't register or just didn't even believe and that it was going to get me. And But it's treatable. So I was then, I didn't have to have chemo at that stage because I was basically, they said it was encapsulated, made it some, I wouldn't suggest it as any elective surgery to any blokes. It took me months to get over it. Um, in to recovery actually, or yep. to mentally process? Um, no, physical recovery. Yeah, uh, it took me a while where they cut you through and then they they cut through all your muscle and then they pull it out. It was actually, yeah, a bit involved. And then six months later, so every month you go and get your bloods checked because your bloods are a very good indicator mm. to see for this type of cancer. And mate, next minute, right on six months, my blood started to escalate. Right, right, and um, it was back. It returned. Yeah. And so what would happen? So come back second time. And they thought that they got it. And so because that one goes, I think it goes kidneys, lungs and brain if it moves. Mm. So I went back and a couple of weeks later, or no, it's actually a couple of days later, I went and had another blood and then it had doubled. And then, another, and then it doubled. And that's when by that week he'd already booked me in for chemo then. He said, oh, you know, it might have been hormonal only having – one one nut and yeah. he said it might be you know that it's escalating when you get over a certain marker level and it's just and mine was just going <laughs> once you get over seven mine was going you know 22 you know 44 and it's just getting bigger and bigger and so that was it off we go for chemo yet again that was not a lot of knowledge of it mm-hmm. and that's it i mean you know you sort of like i was saying like all this the voodoo of the the, the tempo in the house you know, before I was going in for chemo, it was like, you know, wife's crying, kids are messed up. It's, but it's you know, it's your phone's trauma. ringing, yeah. people, oh, my God, you can do this and whatnot. And it, the support was great. But yeah. yet again, there was just all this, I don't know, it's hard to explain. And, and so it's not just yourself that's oh, no. struggling and working it through. It's affecting your wife, Julie, and your family. For me, I found yeah. it easier for me. Everyone's different. Yeah. But I, I found it easier for me to deal with it than my family. Because yeah. they're sort of helpless on the journey, I think, and they were amazing. Mm. But I think, and the deeper I went into my treatment, I think I actually started to shut them out. I wouldn't say ostracise them, but internalise it a lot more. Because as you're going through, like I had um, three cycles back to back, so you do week one, week two, week three of your first cycle. When you they, say cycle, that's the chemotherapy. Uh, yeah, treatment. chemo. Yep. So you, yeah. they hit me with three different drugs, mm. and so that would be your first cycle of three weeks mm. then and it's an intensive blast and then you go cycle two is a repeat of that three weeks and then cycle three and depending on how many cycles so i was still high like first cycle is supposed to kill it second is supposed to ensure and then third is like the sucker punch to make sure it never comes back mm-hmm. i was still a bit high after the first one well i said oh we've got to have four cycles we have four cycles i mean mm. whatever it takes napalm it kill it <laughs> you know i don't care and i'd skip through the door every day you get all the the conspiracy theories of I had from different beliefs that you know 
cancer is a, a man-made disease by doctors and all this type of stuff, mm-hmm. and and it's all made by the pharmaceutical companies. And you don't want to go to chemo; you've got to come to us, and we'll cure you. It's only five thousand dollars. It's a fifty percent off now at the moment, and all mm-hmm. this. And other people are bringing me the the uh, cyanide little um, some shells or peanuts that you eat, and. I said, look, it's okay. I said, I'll go through my traditional style of uh, medicine. So while you were struggling with your treatment, you had all these other people trying to... Prior to, yeah. Sell their wares. Yeah, 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 exactly. Wow. Come and see us and you should do this and you should do that and you should be taking whatever. And I said, it's okay. I said, look, what I'll do is I'll go through uh, the proper treatment and it worked. Can I just ask in there, Mm -hmm. while you were processing this and being treated as a male is there a lot of support services that are out there to help talk it through i think now being looking at the industry and being on that other side of it i think there is um there is now there is now Mm -hmm. probably back then there still probably was but i really wasn't aware of it and also at the time everything sort of with me like that sort of progression of you know in out that specialist I got my chance to be cut. Like I, got, I went in in September, and I was scheduled to be cut in January next year. I'd mm. be dead. He left me for dead. And I think it moved that quick. You don't. My head was spinning. I, I wasn't even looking for you know support services to go. Hey, but yet again, the nurses provided that for me during my treatment and stuff like that. But I was don't know. I just went in and just thought. Tap me, kill it, let's go. What do I have to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's a weight loss program. You know, <laughs> I don't recommend anyone to undertake. But, you know, the nurses said, drink plenty of water. Okay. I drank 750 ml water a day. And in between each litre solution that they would hit me on a daily basis, there'd be a litre flush. Mm-hmm. Mate, I, I went to the toilet around the clock, I think every hour and a half for, for around about nine weeks, you know. Couldn't eat, really. So what I'd do is I'd take steroid tablets to stop me from throwing up. Then I'd eat small chunks. But it was a, it was funny, a vicious circle, because the food then would give me enough energy to make me feel a bit better. So if you don't eat, you don't. Mm. And then you just crash and burn and listen to your body. Mm. And your body says, sleep, sleep. So it's not just yourself struggling through this recovery. Yep. What suggestions would you say to families who have a husband or a partner or a son experiencing um, this journey. If you, with your children or brothers or men, and look, male or female, you know, mm. like the way I've had testicular cancer, but looking at that, you've got to go and see straight away, go and see your GP, go and get scans, and there are some great support services. You've got Men's Link, right, which is fantastic. Go and speak to, you know, the services at the hospitals and they will put you in contact with psychologists, whoever you need, if you need that. And it's not that you're less than or weaker or whatnot. You know, a lot of people think of, oh, I need to go and talk to someone. Sometimes it's, it's really mm-hmm. good because you can get a bit fixated in your mind as well. A couple of really good mates that I think 
that was my support network as well and you know that I could talk to them about it but I'm an extrovert too I'm quite happy to talk about it I don't, I don't bottle it inside mm. so and I, it's important because I teach at trade school I've got young men coming up to me now or young guys going oh geez I've got a bit of a problem da 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 not that I'm a doctor but they're at least a bit more comfortable to actually talk I say mate go and see about it and that's more important that's one of the things you've been saying right through today's yep. program is if something doesn't seem right talk to someone because what happens is is the longer you leave it it's not going to go away if it's a problem mm-hmm. unless you can get it seen to now and that's for me you know that's the most important thing fantastic there's so much more to paul that we're going to find out next week and please do me a favor come back for the, the second part yeah we'll have a good laugh and we'll go for some nice places you are listening to kayak cameraman paul urich talking about testicular cancer and how he started as the kayak cameraman Paul will be back again next week on Subject ACT to talk about his photography, World Photo Day and keeping Canberra's waterways beautiful. If you'd like more information about cancer or support, the Cancer Council has a free telephone information and support service on 13 11 20. You can listen to this program and other informative podcasts on soundcloud.com forward slash subject ACT. Please stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter And if there are any topics that you would like to discuss on Subject ACT, please let us know. You can join us on Subject ACT for local current affairs from a curious and informed perspective each weekday morning at 8.30. Stay tuned for more on 2XXFM 98.3, Canberra's longest-running community radio station. Thank you for your company on Subject ACT. I'm Doug Dobing. Have a great day. (laughs) 